Hey everybody, thanks for checking out the Glendale Road Church of Christ podcast. You're welcome to join us anytime you're around. We are at 1101 Glendale Road in Murray, Kentucky. We meet for worship every Sunday morning at 9 a.m., followed by our Bible study at 10 a.m., and we come back every Sunday evening for a bonus worship hour at 6 p.m. Also, every midweek on Wednesday at 7 p.m., we have a Bible study. You'd be welcome to join us. We'll be sure to save a seat for you. Now, here's this week's sermon. Today's scripture is from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. It is page 1858 in the Pew Bible. In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. God is good all the time. When you think about that passage that Keith read just a moment ago, verse 4, I want you to really think about it. Um, In regard to these things, if you look just previous to that, or just before that rather, we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable, abominable idolatries. And in regard to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them. You ever get to a point in your life as a Christian to where you no longer do the things that you once did because you've, as you've grown and learned, you go, you know, I don't think that would be pleasing to God. And people look at you and they go, what are you doing? And it's because you have made the choice that I'm going to live for the Lord and I'm not going to do the things that I know displease Him. And so it's very interesting in regard to those things that everybody does, that everybody justifies, those things that everybody takes part in. They look and they see you and, well, it's strange that you no longer run as they ran. In all honesty, as Christians, it becomes strange to us, or at least it should, that people would still live in those ways, those ways that we know the Lord will condemn, that He will judge at the appropriate time. But that's going to be the focal point here in a second. Now, in ancient Rome, crowds by the tens of thousands would gather at the Colosseum and they would watch in the late first and early second centuries and onward, they would watch as Christians were torn apart by wild animals. One man who had made a journey over there and stood in the Colosseum, he wrote his reflection. He said, I stood uncovered to the heavens above where he sits for whom they gladly died and asked myself, would I, could I die for him tonight to get this gospel to the ends of the earth? I prayed most fervently in that Roman Roman arena for the spirit of a martyr and for the working of the Holy Spirit as he worked in Paul when he brought him on his handcuffed way to Rome. Those early Christians lived on the threshold of heaven within a heartbeat of home, no possession to hold them back. I can't imagine living on that threshold knowing that at any moment, because I believe what I believe, 
that I could die for it. But you and I are very fortunate. We don't face that same level of bodily danger, physical harm as they did. But that was an ever-present reality for them. Our brothers and sisters, many, many centuries ago, living in an empire that didn't think kindly of the way, of the faith that they had in Jesus. But they lived a gospel life. And so the way that they did that is what I want to look at today. So if you've got your Bibles open, we're going to look first of all at chapter 3, verses 8 through 17. This is where it begins. The first way to live a gospel life is endure the suffering. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is far better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. More often than not, when you and I do good things and are easily discouraged, we just quit. We go, I don't need that in my life. I mean, think about for a second how maybe you've done some sort of service in the church. And serving in the church, maybe you thought, I'm doing good, you know, I'm glorifying God, honoring the Lord. But then maybe somebody says a curt word about it. Maybe they're a little unkind and don't appreciate it. And you just say, well, I just don't want anything to do with that. So I just quit. And yet Peter says, don't quit, keep doing good. And look at how sometimes, how easily discouraged we can be and how that discouragement just makes us go, well, I don't need to do that. I don't need that in my life. Many of us have said that. I'll never go out of my way to do this again. And sometimes it isn't that you've suffered for it, but maybe it's gone unappreciated or not even acknowledged. And so I think, what's the point? There's a story about President Coolidge. He invited some of his friends from Vermont to come and eat at the White House. They were real nervous because they weren't sure, you know, what is the proper etiquette. So they decided ahead of time, we're going to do everything that the president does. That way we make sure that we behave appropriately. Everything went great during the whole meal. It was at the end when they were having coffee that things kind of went off the rails. 
So the coffee was served and President Coolidge took his cup and he poured a little coffee on a saucer. And so they saw that and they, oh, okay, they poured a little coffee on a saucer as well. Then he added a little bit of sugar. He added a little bit of cream. They followed the suit as well, doing exactly as the president did. And then President Coolidge leaned over and laid his down for the cat. I mean, you got to give them credit. They were following an example to the T. And that's what we're supposed to do. Follow Jesus to a T. It's not always easy. Sometimes it's very hard. I mean, when he says, you know, don't return evil for evil or reviling for reviling, there's a part of every one of us that has a point to where it is our limit. You go so far and you get on that last nerve. Well... You know what follows. Following Jesus and suffering good, rather suffering evil because you do good, isn't always something that anybody wants to do, but Jesus left us an example. And I like to always remind brothers and sisters that are discouraged in the Lord, say whatever has discouraged you, I guarantee has discouraged Jesus. Church people hurt your feelings. His church people, they, they killed him. People won't listen to what you have to say. Guess what? Not everybody listened to him. You mean a few people don't like you? A whole lot of people didn't like Jesus. And they were religious folk. So when you find yourself in that position, just remember you have a Lord that's probably already been there. So endure the suffering, but while you endure the suffering, embody the Savior. Chapter 3, verses 18 through 22. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine longsuffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. There's also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism, hard pause. If you ever hear somebody tell you baptism doesn't save you, well, take them to Peter. Take them to Peter because he says it does. And I know if you've got a, a study Bible, you're going to have little commentary notes. And I want you to read your commentary notes because I guarantee you whoever wrote those notes is going to dance every which way they can around what this passage plainly says. But you have the choice to take the inspired divine word of God or that of some commentator. There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. So here's the picture. Jesus also suffered. Jesus also died. Jesus rose from the dead. And Jesus is now at the right hand of the Father. When you embody the Savior, you may suffer the same thing. You may also suffer to the point of death. But because you have faith in Christ, because you have followed the Lord, you'll have your vindication. Just as He ascended to the right hand of the Father, so you too shall raise from the dead and ascend to the right hand of the Father. Now I know there's a couple verses in there that you're going, I wish He'd explain that a little more. And I don't know that I have all the wisdom to do so, but we'll give it a shot. 
uh, verses 18 through 20. Christ also suffered once for, uh, for sins for the just and the unjust, uh, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh and made alive in the spirit. That last phrase, put the death in the flesh, we understand, made alive in the spirit. Sometimes that's a little unclear. But the next verse, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Now, some people teach that uh, the three days that Jesus was dead, that he went and he preached to these spirits in prison. And I'm not altogether convinced that that is the case. However, do a little bit examination of this with me, and then I'll tell you why I don't believe that to be the case. There has been around for centuries, ever since the 8th century, something called the Apostles' Creed. And in many Reformed churches, they recite this creed. I'll read a bit of it to you because it gets us to the point. And I think some of it we can agree with, but again, we recognize that a creed is an invention of man. It's not divinely given by God. It starts out, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. Here's the part that sticks. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. Now, in that time, the Latin Bible was the standard Bible. And the reason that the King James translates in Matthew 16, when Jesus says, I give to you the keys of the kingdom uh, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against you, that's because the King James was translated from the Latin Bible in part. And in that verse in Latin, it has the word inferno, which inferno, hell. And so that's likely why the Apostles' Creed has that. And that's why so many recite it as their statement of faith. But it can't mean that for the following reasons. First of all, judgment comes after death, Hebrews 9.27. It is appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. When we pass away from this life, if we pass away in a saved condition in the Lord, or in a lost condition, we carry that with us when we depart these bodies. Nothing can change. And also we read in the story of the rich man and Lazarus, that in Hades, there's this great gulf that separates these two parts, one of which is a part of rest, a part of comfort, which is often referred to as Abraham's bosom or paradise. And on the other hand, you have a place that is of torment and of agony. And Abraham said clearly, no one can come from here to there. No one can come from there to here. Okay. So it wasn't a case of Jesus went in the afterlife and he evangelized to those who were lost. If anything, it wouldn't have been evangelization, it would have been the proclamation. This is the truth of God. But made alive by the Spirit, we note in Scripture that it was the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he, also, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Also, we know that Jesus was in Hades 
Acts 2.27, For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. That last part, allow your Holy One to see corruption, had to do with the decaying of his body while it was in the tomb. But if you look back at your scriptures, verse 18, Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, put to death in the flesh, made alive in the spirit. So if you're going chronologically, whatever follows has to do with post-resurrection activity and not necessarily the time when he was dead. That's one, uh, one viable interpretation. Another one is what's called prolepsis. Uh, prolepsis, I'll give you an example. Abraham Lincoln was born in Kentucky. Now I'm speaking as if it's the present tense, right? But we all know that that happened close to some 200 years ago. So it's the overlapping of different periods of time. So some of our brethren believe that this is an example of prolepsis where uh, the proper interpretation would be that the, that the Spirit of Christ was with Noah when he was preaching to all those on the earth in that day. That's a viable interpretation as well. The one thing I'll say this is, however you choose to take it, you can't let this obscure pas passage overrule plainly stated passages. And that's the temptation and that's the mistake that a lot of people make is, well, this is a little obscure, so I'm going to finagle it and try to interpret it, but then you have to put it up against what you know is plain and clear. And if it contradicts what's plain and clear, well, we've misinterpreted. And also, you know, you can bog yourself down studying this, and it's a great exercise. I'll never criticize anyone for studying Scripture, uh, but if you never find out the answer, it'll be all right. So you take that with you. All right, so we endure the suffering. We embody the Savior. Do y'all like how I did that alliteration there? Isn't that nice? I haven't done that in a sermon in a long time. I know it's kind of cheesy, but anyway, Tom Holland did it, and if it was good enough for him, it was good enough for me. Expect the slander. When you live as you live for Christ, it's not going to be popular. And it's, it's not very popular as well. I was having a conversation yesterday with someone, and uh, they are in a profession. And in that profession, there are groups and unions and stuff, and of course, uh, last month, as they say, was Pride Month. And so this person was telling me, they said, you know, everyone was wearing a rainbow uh, pride uh, thing on their, on their shirt. And she said, you know, I, I'll be nice to everybody, but I'm, I can't wear that in good conscience. You know, and I'm like, well, yeah. I said, well, how would they feel if we went around with a bunch of crosses with a string on it and said, you know, I need you to wear this. How, how well over do you think that would go? I don't think it'd go over that well at all. So if we don't do it, and this was her point, she said, if we don't do this as Christians, why is it that people are pushing things on us and saying you have to wear this or that? It's a good thought when you think about it. But nobody wants the cross. Well, we do. But you get what I'm saying. So 
because you and I have chosen, we've got to expect that it's not going to be popular with everybody. But at the end of the day, my main concern is, is God pleased with me? Is Stephanie happy with me? Are my children happy with me? Beyond that, get in line and your number will likely not be called. God is the most important one. I should live every day to please Him. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles, when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. And in regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, dissipation speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached to those who were dead, that they, may, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit." But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in prayer. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. In 1963, Sam Cooke was headed to Shreveport, Louisiana to perform. And he had gone ahead of time and made arrangements at a hotel for him and his family and his band. And when they got there, they were turned away because of the color of their skin. Of course, Sam became quite angry and you might say belligerent. And finally they left and they got in their car and they went to another hotel. And by the time they got to the other hotel, the police were already there waiting on him and arrested him. He remembered the words of Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech, and he wrote a song that became a, a hit in 1964. Here's some of the lyrics. It's been too hard living, but I'm afraid to die, because I don't know what's up there beyond the sky. I go to the movie, and I go downtown. Somebody keep telling me, don't hang around. It's been a long, long time coming, but I know change gonna come. Oh, yes, it is. Change gonna come. Y'all need to listen to that song. It's a great song. He's a great vocalist as well. Change has come. A lot of times we look and we say, what is happening to the world? Let's say something different. 
let's say, look at what has come into the world. Jesus the Christ. Look at what has come in the world. Some people often quote and say, all it takes for the triumph of evil is that good men do nothing. I say evil will not triumph because Jesus has conquered. Jesus has conquered. Look back with me. Chapter 3. I want to focus on verses 20 and 21, and this is what I'll close with. Who formerly were disobedient when once the divine longsuffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through the water. Full stop. I guarantee that people thought Noah was crazy. Imagine for a second, you know, you're the one guy that receives a word from the Lord, and so you go and get gopher wood, and you get all these tools, and you've got this entire huge area, and every day people pass by, and they say, wonder what Noah's doing. Maybe some even stop. Noah, what are you up to? God is going to judge the world. He has ordered that this ark be built. It will be an ark of salvation for those who board it. Judgment is coming. Okay. And then they walk off and maybe they go, his cheese has slipped off his cracker, hasn't it? Something ain't right up top. But they come by and Noah keeps preaching righteousness. As a matter of fact, Peter tells us he was a preacher of righteousness. We don't have any of his sermons recorded, though. I would have loved to have known what he said. And everybody probably thought he was out of his mind until the day the rain began to fall. And you know the eight souls that were saved through the water? Noah and his family. He was a preacher of righteousness. No one would hear him. But he made sure that his own were saved. Make sure that when you board your ark of salvation, that your family isn't left behind. There's also an antitype which now saves us, baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection in Jesus Christ. As that ark was built, and as the rains began to fall, Noah and those kinfolk of his got on that ark. They shut the door. And as the rain came and as that ark floated, they were saved in that water. And when you and I go through the waters of baptism, having faith in Jesus Christ, we board the ark that is Jesus. It was the water that saved Noah because he obeyed and acted within the will of God. It is the water that saves us when we also obey and follow the will of God. So I ask you, or I tell you, don't miss the boat. Don't miss the boat. Let's stand and sing together.